I think with purpose, when you're purposeful about what you say, what you write, what you put out there, I think you are essentially creating a magnet for yourself. You're creating a magnet to attract the people who are looking for that content. Welcome to Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their career through a strong personal brand. Rep Your Brand is hosted by Nick Bennett, one of LinkedIn's top voices on field marketing and personal branding. In each episode, Nick captures stories on how to overcome the challenges marketers face with growing their brand. So if you're a marketer looking to open doors and create opportunities that you never thought were possible, then listen in to get tangible tips and strategies to build your very own personal brand. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rep Your Brand, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to build their careers through a strong personal brand. I'm Nick Bennett. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Motion. They're a done-for-you podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams in B2B tech. They're two of the nicest guys around, and the work that they do is truly world-class. You can find them at motionagency.io. And today, I'm super excited because our guest is Amanda Natividad, marketing architect at Spark Toro, and someone who absolutely slays it on social. Amanda, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me, Nick. This is great. Absolutely. So I feel like, I mean, you've literally blown up like so much on Twitter. So I'm not going to kind of go down because I feel like everyone probably knows who you are at this point, but I do want to kind of just get into it. And so I think the way that I want to frame this is, some people say personal branding is is about having a point of view. Some people say personal branding is just being yourself. But how would Amanda describe it? Yeah, it's a good question because so I guess the way I would describe it is to me, a personal brand is the way you convey your expertise, interests and values. So in other words, it's that combination of what you're good at, what you like and what you believe in. And I think we all do this, right? And I think that's why everybody has a personal brand, whether you like it or not. I just think that maybe some people are more purposeful with it or more strategic with it or more aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I feel like it was funny because I was actually shooting like a promo for this podcast earlier. And there's so many, I'm not going to drop names, but like there's people out there that call it BS that says like, this isn't really a thing, but like, it doesn't matter whether people say it or not. And it, it kind of goes to my next question, because a few weeks ago, you published a tweet that said, I'm sorry to inform you that whether you like it or not, you have a personal brand. And like, it blew up. And so like, what sparked that tweet? I don't remember what sparked it specifically. It might have just been like, just dialogue that I had personally with people who kind of debate whether or not they have one, or even just people who are kind of denying its existence. And that's why I say like you have it, whether you like it or not, because in a way, your personal brand is just who you are. It's the way you are. Or it's the way you kind of manage yourself in front of people. And I think that's why everybody has such a different definition of what it is, because it's personal. It's unique to everybody. And I just think that maybe some people are just more aware of it than others. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I mean, I think that 2020, you probably saw it starting to pick up speed. 2021, more people kind of like went down that path. And 2022, I'm sure it will kind of continue to grow. But like, why do you think some people like the term personal branding and some don't? Like, why do you think there's such a hang up on that word? 
Well, what, maybe one thing I'll lightly challenge you on is I don't know if anyone likes the term personal brand, right? I don't know. I mean, I don't really like it, but I admit to it. <laughs> but I think the reason people generally don't like that term personal brand is because it sounds disingenuous and icky. Mm. <laughs> because I think talking about your personal brand is it's essentially saying that you care what other people think about you. And our whole lives, right, we're told that you're not supposed to care what other people think. Right. And so I think acknowledging the existence of your personal brand is really just admitting that you care what others think about you and that you find ways to kind of manage those expectations at scale. And like I said, I don't love the term, right? I don't walk around my house tweeting and saying to my, my family, like, hold on, I'm managing my personal brand. I'm aware of it, <laughs> but it's not something I consciously or even just it's not something I forthcomingly talk about, like personal brand, this and that. Because at the end of the day, for me, it's I'm just being myself, just right on my own terms in the way that I communicate it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it goes back to just like, kind of like you said, it's just like, like who you are, like the piece that I guess, I don't want to say I'm hung up on, but like the piece that I, I think I try to like think of, some people say personal brand equals reputation, but like I challenge them on that because when I think of like personal brand and I, I agree, like I probably use it way too much, but like, I think being your authentic self, but what do you want your legacy to be? Like, what do you want people to know you as? Whereas like reputation is like, what are people going to say when you're not in the room with you? And I mean, you could have a strong personal brand, but you could be an absolute jerk and like, no one would want to like be with you and it'll kill your reputation. But like, I feel like I, I could definitely see like how they kind of play off of each other. But like, do you think they run parallel? Do you think that they run like that? They're kind of completely different. Reputation and personal brand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's a good point that you bring up. I agree with you because yeah, you can have a terrible reputation, strong personal brand. You can have a weak personal brand and have a strong reputation in your community because I think ultimately your reputation is, it's your standing with others that is impacted by the way you treat people who you are one-to-one -one or on a one-to-one -one or personal level. And then the personal brand piece is just sort of like what you project outwards, yep. maybe. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. I definitely agree with you there. It's, you know, do you think it's something, do you think it's something like a professional marketer should build or do you think they should be kind of, or should it be like less deliberate? Like not really a focus, but something that they should kind of keep in the back of their mind. I don't know. That's a lot to unpack, right? Yeah. Because... Like I said, I think everybody has a personal brand. Right. What you do with it is up to you. I think it is a good idea for marketers to think about how they can how they can grow their personal brand. But do I think it's required or that everyone should do it? I don't know, right? Because like I mean, I think there are a lot of people who maybe are public on social media, right? But they would hate the idea of being evaluated on their behavior by potential employers. I very much empathize with that. I get that. Same time, what I would counter that with is if your social media is public, then you're a public, you're some kind of public figure, right? It's not the same thing as being a celebrity where you are not purposefully injecting yourself into the zeitgeist. That's different. <laughs> but if your thoughts and your photos and your videos or whatever are out there publicly for anyone to see, 
then I would argue that it is fair for people to have an opinion on you based on what you are publicly saying, right? It's sort of like if you were to reveal yourself to be a really terrible person in your public social media, and if an employer saw that and thought like, oh, you seem awful, I don't want to hire you. I think it's fair, right? <laughs> or for an employer to think that. And so what I guess when I think about, sorry for this meandering answer, when I think about how marketers could or should be using their personal brand to kind of further their careers, I think there is a way to think about that that is not high pressure. And the way that I say that is like, I've always had a public Twitter profile and I've technically had my Twitter account since like 2008. So it's been a very long time. <laughs> I just didn't always use it for my career. Yep. However, like, yeah, I would retweet things I liked. I would share links that I thought were interesting. And these were all just things that I thought were insightful, novel, funny, but not hurtful to anyone, right? And not problematic, right? And even back then, before I was a little bit more purposeful about putting my career thoughts or marketing thoughts online, I was aware of this, right? I was aware of the fact that my employer could look up my Twitter that back then was unrelated to work and they could have an opinion on my character or behavior based on what I put out there. And I think that's fair. What would they have seen? They probably would have seen me like laughing at a couple of snarky but harmless Wendy's tweets, <laughs> right? Like stuff like that, that's like, oh, that's normal. And like people like that and that's fine, right? But I was also, because at the time I wasn't focused on writing about marketing online, Right. I don't think any employer would have seen my then public social media and thought, oh, are these her marketing thoughts? Because I didn't write about marketing back then. So there's still a way to kind of be mindful about your reputation or your brand, even if you're not consciously building it. Right. Because it's still you kind of being evaluated based on what you put out there. Yep. Yeah, Does that absolutely. Make sense? <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it definitely makes sense. And I mean, for me, obviously, you know, Twitter is kind of like where you spend a lot of your time. For me, it's LinkedIn. And so mm -hmm. like, I've had a LinkedIn profile for what? I don't know, probably like 10 years now. But like, mm -hmm. I haven't like started taking it seriously. And like you, like putting like marketing thoughts out there up until like a year and a half ago. And like, I was just sharing work stuff. Like, I never really posted stuff. I barely scrolled. If I did scroll, I didn't comment on anyone's stuff. Like, I was just mm -hmm. kind of like, so like siloed or like not knowing the benefits that could come from it over time. But I mean, I could definitely see like both sides of it for sure. And so it's funny because like I talked to some people and they're like, hey, you know, you've done a really good job. Like my job is if I can add value to at least one person a day, then like I feel like I've done my job. Like I don't care about the vanity metrics of like you've got X amount of followers, you get all these views on your posts like my North star is engagement. Like engagement is all I care about because I can mm -hmm. learn from other marketers how to be a better marketer at the end of the day. Yeah. And they're like, you should be monetizing this. And I'm just like, like for me, like I work a regular job. Like I have one, I don't have time to do that. But like, even if I wanted to, like for me, I just give everything away for free. And so like, I'm curious, the audience that you've built for yourself over the last years, was it just about an increase in, in Twitter followers or has there been an a bigger impact for you beyond that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you and I are very similar in our sort of approach to these social media platforms. I would say I, I had a couple of North Stars with this. So one, I think it's helpful where if you are consciously 
starting to think about your personal brand, I think it's helpful to have one North Star or one goal in mind, just one. <laughs> and my first goal, and this was in 2020, my first goal was, okay, I worked at a boutique agency and just by the nature of marketing or bringing in leads for an agency, paid acquisition or like sort of running Facebook ads and stuff yeah. isn't really the first play, right? So it was a little bit like, I don't really have budget for paid marketing <laughs> because in large part, because I don't think that's a great use of our money to kind of increase our reach or our awareness, right? So the way I saw it was we were creating a lot of content like blog posts, yeah. we had a podcast, then we eventually launched into a YouTube, but I started to see the benefits of having a per of growing a personal brand, right? And the agency that I worked with is Growth Machine. It was started by Nat Eliason, who he has a very strong personal brand. So naturally the Growth Machine brand was Nat. And so part of my role was to kind of build my own personal brand so that we have kind of more, more faces of Growth Machine. So in growing that personal brand, I needed to find there was also a need, there was also this need to have like an organic distribution channel. So I was that organic distribution channel. So I started thinking about like ways I could add value online, growing a social media following. And I'll say that broadly because I am on LinkedIn too, even though I spend less time there and my following there is much smaller than yours. But like, I am there, right? And I, yeah. I shrug, I'm like, I'm on LinkedIn, a lot of people are, <laughs> but I'm not there as often as I am on Twitter. And that was the first sort of goal that I had, like, okay, kind of become more known in the space, become a distribution channel for the content we're creating. And then, you know, along the way, as that started to evolve and things got better along the way, I had been just reflecting on my career, like the way that I've joined certain opportunities, the way that I've had to do job hunts, right? I've had to navigate a layoff in my career. I've had to navigate for a furlough. That's not unique to me, right? That was just what I dealt with. But in thinking about where I was with my career and how I wanted to, to move forward with it, I wanted to set myself up to be in a better position of power, to take more control of my career and what the next steps would be. So the goal, my next goal became, how can I never have to do a traditional job hunt again. That was the goal. And that was just very much like, I encourage people to consider that as their goal. How can I not have to do a traditional job hunt again? Because, and I don't say this as like, now you have to only talk about your profession. No, that's a whole separate thing. Well, I say this because I think if you think about how you can avoid the traditional job hunt, you can start to think about things like, how can I better connect with people how can I find more people in my professional network? Like, how can I learn from my industry peers or industry heroes, so to speak? And then how can I find a way to meet these people at scale? So those are all things that are related to work, right? But it doesn't mean that you have to only think about work. Because when you're trying to network with people, you don't just jump into conversation and say like, hey, let's talk about marketing, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you're also you're trying to make genuine connections with people. You're trying to make some kind of friendship, right? Like it doesn't need to be your best friend, right? But when you're trying to make meaningful connections with people, you are thinking about the whole person. You are thinking about their profession, maybe, 
but you're also thinking about like how they treat others, how you guys, how, what, what interests you have in common, stuff like that. And when I say this as this goal, you can start to think about like, all right, if I want to not have a traditional job hunt, what can I share about my experience and my expertise? What can I say that's maybe new or novel to other people? It doesn't have to mean that you're an expert, right? Like not everyone's an expert in things. And I would I would never claim to be an expert in like Facebook ads specifically. Like I have experience in it and I have stories in running effective and ineffective Facebook ad campaigns, but I would never go out there and say like, everyone learn from me. I know, I know what's what here. So, but what I do is I share the things that I've learned throughout my career. Hopefully other people can learn from it, whether or not they are new to marketing or maybe people who are marketing experts can still see it and go like, oh, that's an interesting perspective. Or like, that's a fresh perspective that I haven't seen before. So that's sort of how I think that's how, that's how that has been for me. And that's how I think about that. Yeah, no, it's really good, honestly, because that was kind of like the whole thing. Like I joined or I started taking LinkedIn seriously because I realized that there was such a misconception of what field marketing is in the marketing world. And so out of 750 million plus users, I'm the only one that talked about field marketing. And like, I, it was like really being able to like niche down and like kind of like double down and like hone in on that and, and create a whole new awareness around it, which has then allowed me to branch out to talk about ABM and just personal stuff. Like, and I think that's another important piece is connecting to people beyond the persona. And so something that at Alice, what we do is everyone knows what your nine to five is, but what are you focused on in that five to nine that truly makes you a, a human? And so we focus on that. And so like, if I'm on a platform like LinkedIn, like I don't hold back. I bring my entire self onto that platform. I show pictures of my daughter. I tell people like, hey, I'm running a charity baseball tournament for the American Cancer Society, like things that I'm passionate about, because I want people to understand like me in the whole me, not just someone that talks about marketing all day. And you brought up a good point and a, a specific word that I want to kind of go back on purposefully. And so like, why do you think it's so important to be purposeful with how you talk to your audience? Like, because people could talk about fluffy stuff all day, but like with purpose, it adds a whole new layer there. So I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think with purpose, when you're purposeful about what you say, what you write, what you put out there, I think you are essentially creating a magnet for yourself. You're creating a magnet to attract the people who are looking for that content, right? Like, so I think about it as like, if you are being purposeful about what you say, then you can be purposeful about what you attract. So there have been times where I've written, I to think of an example, but there, I guess there have been times where I've tweeted about certain things that I felt strongly about. But then because it took off, came back to me in a, a lot of people asking questions about it. And I've thought like, oh, do I want to be known for this? Well, oh, here's an example. This is a good and bad example. <laughs> I've had a couple of rants about cold outreach. When cold outreach is not done right, when it's done in a weird, creepy way or scammy <laughs> way. Right? And I've had, I have strong opinions about this. I've written a viral thread on it. I even hosted a SparkToro office hours on how to do effective cold outreach. And then I wrote a blog post on it that took off pretty well that a lot of people have read and hopefully it has helped them. And where this was good was 
it was good that my approach to cold outreach is really just focusing on high quality, high value interactions with people, making sure things are mutually beneficial, stuff like that. And I think anyone would disagree with that, right? And I think that's a nice approach. And I hopefully helped a lot of people in their cold outreach. Now, maybe the bad thing about this, or maybe the flip side of this is then a lot of people started reaching out to me to ask for cold outreach advice that was veering into conversations I just didn't feel like having. Yep. You know, it wasn't anything like crazy, right? But it was just stuff like, oh, can you do this for me? And I was like, I don't want to do cold outreach for other people. <laughs> like that's, I, was, I didn't write this in hopes of getting hired as a cold outreach consultant, right? But that's a good example of like, you attract what you put out there. So then I also got to thinking like, I better write something else quick so I can be known for something else. <laughs> Not just this one thing. <laughs> I love it. So you kind of bring up a good point. And I, I want to go down another path because let's talk about like time spent on social or, or more so like, like, how do you split your time? So like being active on Twitter, like you said, you're on LinkedIn as well. You have a regular job. Like, how do you split your time? Like, how do you fit it all in? It's tough. I think maybe a hot take I have here is I think the thing that people with large followings or sizable followings, I don't know what else to call it. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> I think for anyone who is consciously trying to grow a following anywhere, that's fair. The thing I don't think people say or admit to is how much time they have to spend on, on these social media platforms. I'm sure there are some people I'm sure it's a very, very small amount of people, but I'm sure there are some people who just happen to have the recipe for viral content, who post it, go viral, and then they leave. I'm sure there are, but I bet you that's a very, very, very small amount of people, probably almost non-existent because <laughs> if you're going viral on something, of course you're looking at it. You're looking at like what people are saying. You're looking at the quote tweets. You're looking at the responses. You're maybe... And maybe hopefully you're engaging back with people, right? So I would say I do try to kind of have proactive and reactive times. So my proactive time is spent creating content. So I'll try to batch content, right? Like maybe I'll spend maybe an hour or two per week, maybe drafting some tweets for the week. And the reason that I, I mean, I, I like to batch it because for me, context switching can be difficult. And it's easier, and I think it's probably normal for a lot of people, it's easier to batch certain tasks, creative tasks, administrative tasks, all that kind of stuff. So try to batch all the creation in as into like one finite time frame. What's also helpful is then I can go back the next day or maybe two days later and look at it with a fresh pair of eyes and go like, oh, like I didn't write this clearly enough. Or like, oh, I should add a better example here. Stuff like that. It allows me to edit better. And then maybe I'll schedule a tweet like the day before, like I'll put it in and I'll schedule it to go out first thing in the morning or I'll post in the fly as I think about stuff. And then similar to LinkedIn, like some what I've been doing lately is if something takes off pretty well on Twitter, I'll repurpose it for LinkedIn. It doesn't always work, right? Because not what works on one platform doesn't always work on the other because you've optimized for that one platform, right? Like sometimes one's quick, like spicy take will do really, really well on Twitter. Might not do as well on LinkedIn, right? Because people are there for different things. They consume information differently. So, but it's a way, I think like kind of repurposing the content, it's a way to be more economical about what you're creating. And then I also, when I say reactive time, that's the stuff that's like responding to comments, just scrolling the timeline and see what other, seeing what other people are doing and engaging with their content. 
Um, I do that too. I just try to kind of batch stuff throughout the day so that I'm not spending my entire day on Twitter, right? Like I'll focus on a work thing for a couple hours, get something done there. And then when I can kind of take a break from that and put that down for a little bit, then I'll switch back over to Twitter and like spend a couple minutes there. So I think throughout the day when I'm checking back in on Twitter for that reactive time, I'm probably only there for like five minutes or so. And then I'll leave again, come back an hour later or, or whatever that is. And I am spending less time on social media recently, just having a little bit of burnout, wanting to focus on proper workday work. Yeah. And then I also just see it as like focusing on work, your actual day job, and like getting good at that. That's going to give you content later on. Like then you can talk about a project you worked on and how you did that. And that could be LinkedIn or Twitter content. Exactly. I mean, you, you nailed it. It's like part of me, like what's interesting is I I tried to build a decent following on LinkedIn and I tried to kind of like migrate that over to Twitter. It didn't work out as well because it's completely different audiences. Like what's worked well for me on LinkedIn doesn't work well for me on Twitter. And so like now I've kind of like, I'm still on Twitter. Like I, I interact with a lot of people like yourself and others, but like I don't post as much content as I do there anymore. Cause I'm just like, one, it comes back to a, a time thing as well. It's like, I've got a family, like I'm trying to like disconnect because like there was times where I, like, I was literally just waking up first thing in the morning, check LinkedIn, like right before bed, just scroll LinkedIn for hours. And it's like, I just got to like disconnect for a little bit. Like just take these like short breaks and like refresh myself. Totally. And I really think it's almost, unless you are doing this truly full time, I think it's impossible to truly be on both platforms. Yeah. Like I'll say I'm on Twitter throughout the day, right? I'm not really on LinkedIn throughout the day. I might check it. I'll have dedicated time, right? Like I'll check it in the morning maybe, but then I don't look at it again for until maybe the next day or so, right? And like, because I can't do it all. I don't think anyone can. And I don't think it's healthy to anyway. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Awesome. So I have a couple more questions for you while we're coming up on time. And so I want to talk about, I want to talk about SparkToro. So your, your current employer, I'm always interested in this question because fortunately for me, like my employer is very much okay with like me doing my thing. Like I've driven also about 30 plus opportunities to the sales team, just from inbound, from people seeing my content. And so like, how does SparkToro kind of feel about you and like your personal brand or building an audience, things like that? Yeah. One, that is awesome. I love the opportunities coming your team's way. That's great. And it's a good question because I think there are probably a lot of maybe bigger or legacy companies that get nervous when employees do this. But SparkToro is just the three of us. It's myself, Rand Fishkin, and Casey Henry. They're cool with it. (laughs) I mean, like, but my kind of building my personal brand is how Rand found me in the first place. So I was posting more on Twitter, becoming more purposeful about it, posting like one to two tweets per day about marketing. And then eventually I got on Rand's radar. He followed me back and I was like, what? That's ridiculous. And like, I had never really, I don't think I'd ever engaged with this content. Maybe I've liked a couple of things, but, and the reason I didn't was because, I mean, he has a massive following, like 450,000 followers, and he's very well known in our, in the marketing space, right? So like marketing and tech space. So like, I just always thought like, oh, he's way too important for me. Like, I'm not going to engage with his content. He doesn't need to hear from me. He would hate that. So I just never said anything. But you know, when he followed me back, we sort of became friends online, right? Like we would, we would engage with each other's content. Um, eventually I had the courage to DM him and I just said, hello. And then 
I sent him a link to one of my recipes, which was not on a blog because I don't have a food blog. It was just a link to a convert kit archive link. So like just no SEO involved. I was like, sorry for the terrible link. I was like, I know I, I fully realized the irony of sending a non SEO link to Rand Fishkin. Trust me. Yeah, he thought that was funny, but. I mean, like having a personal brand is how I reached out to him in the first place and yeah. or how we became friends in the first place. From there, you know, we talked about how, what it would be like to work together. And then there was this opportunity that prevent, that presented itself slash we created for each other <laughs> that made it sense for me to join the team. I think what is uniquely interesting about SparkToro, it's a couple things, right? Like a, a large part of our growth is due to Rand's built-in audience. Like we have a pretty massive email database. We have a pretty solid user base. Business is going pretty well. We're growing faster than we had previously anticipated, which is nice. But a lot of it's because Rand is so well known, right? And and then the other unique thing about us is that we provide the solution of audience research at scale. Easy, economical, efficient accurate audience research. So the things like what podcasts people in your audience listen to, the social accounts they follow, the stuff they talk about publicly online, those things. And as I explain that, you might even be thinking, Nick, about like, what do you call that? Like, I would call that market research. I'd be curious what you would call it. But market research then is like focus groups, right? It's surveys. That's not really what we do, right? So we call it audience research. And the other thing is we don't think people are searching for these needs in a term that has high search volume, right? There isn't really, like I say audience research, other people call it audience intelligence, hmm. audience insights. However, audience insights was technically a Facebook product. So often people are searching for that. They mean Facebook, yeah. right? So then there's also just like, it's hard to piece together the search intent with what we do. Therefore, a lot of our content is not driven by SEO. A lot of our content is very much product-led where we are talking about how to get the most out of using SparkToro's tools. A lot of it's kind of like brand awareness. A lot of what we do is related, related to the overall brand and overall awareness of the problems we are, we are solving. And then I guess the last thing I would say is I think an interesting thing about where my personal brand comes into play here is... It makes it such that it is tenable for both Rand's and my workload, yep. right? And we are able to share opportunities that we would not be able to share if I didn't have a personal brand, right? So like, I don't know if it's in poor taste for me to say, but I think if it's for like a podcast interview, right? Yep. Something that is like things that might be more one-off or that might not be like a major keynote or a keynote yeah. at a major conference, right? Like that's different from like a podcast interview or like a panel session or right. breakout session, stuff like that. These are all different, right? But if someone's like reaching out for a podcast interview or to co-present a webinar, and if Rand can't do it and he says, you know what, like my, my colleague Amanda can do it, she can present, is that of interest to you? Sure, I mean, I am fully aware that I am not Rand Fishkin and I'm fully <laughs> aware that someone can be disappointed. However, if I was the runner-up choice, at least I have enough of a personal brand where it's like, okay, I think people know who she is, or I think she has proven she has some expertise. I know she won't be the worst speaker. There's a little bit of like de-riskment. 
That's what it is. I I think I am a de-risked option as a runner-up speaker (laughs) as a result of having a personal brand. (laughs) I love that. It's a fun fact, actually. So Rand and I, we actually were speaking at the same conference the other day, the Unmute conference. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy. I was just like, somehow I was like, the first one to talk after like the CEO. And then I was like, oh man, like this is like such a crazy lump. I don't even know how I got on this list to be honest with you, but like to be on the same list as like Rand Fishkin, I was like, this is like fantastic. I'm going to milk this as long as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I have one final question for you. What's the biggest mistake marketers make when they're creating their own brand or whatever? Like where do they fault the most? marketers or people yeah let's go marketers for this specific one or we can go people you know what let's go broader maybe we can riff on this a bit okay (laughs) i think well maybe what maybe what i'll say is something that i see is i think a problem that a lot of marketers make is that they think they have to only talk about marketing Mm. and i think there is and i think in actuality there's a way you can balance that with the sort of that nine to five content with the five to nine content that makes you a whole person at work. Yeah. There is a way to balance that. And I think when most marketers are thinking about growing a personal brand online, they think about, Oh, I have to only talk about marketing, which I don't think you do. I think you can talk about marketing 80% of the time so that people at least know like, like maybe why they would follow you or like what you do. Right. Right. 20% of the time can be the whole person five to nine stuff. And I think people feel like they have to choose one or the other when I truly, truly think you can have both and you should have both. Yep. Couldn't agree more with you there. That's a fantastic way to end this. Amanda, where can people go to learn more about you, connect with you? I know obviously Twitter, but like whatever you want to plug here, feel free. I'll make sure to add a bunch of things to the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you. So to reach out to me or follow me, I'm on Twitter at Amanda Nat. I also have a personal site amandanet.com, where I also send out a twice a month newsletter with marketing adjacent thoughts and an original recipe. I also include a screenshot interview with someone. So check that out. And then since this is launching in December, I will say I am starting a podcast myself. I'm starting a video based podcast. It will also be called The Menu. So keep an eye out for that, perhaps this week or perhaps next week. And then finally, Spark Toro check us out. We provide audience research that anybody can afford. We have free accounts, we have paid accounts, and we also have free tools. So it's sparktoro.com. You can find your audience's sources of influence. And then some of our free tools include things like fake Twitter follower audits. You can check if a certain account has fake followers. We also have a thing called Spark Score, which takes into account the overall engagement of your Twitter profile, which is helpful if you are maybe looking for like micro influencers in your space for instance. And then we also have the audience research newsletter. That is our twice a month newsletter, where we talk about how you can incorporate audience research into your overall marketing strategy. I love it. Amazing. Well, I will be sure to link all of those. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for listening to Rep Your Brand. Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you learned something new today, it'd be great if you left us a review. We'll catch you next time.